I didn't say anything. Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin our worship service. Somebody say something? Oh, okay. thought I heard, but anyway. It's good to be back. Mary had to have two weeks of vacation this year. She won. We both had a good time, but it's good to be home, too. A couple things, John and Pat and JB and Wanda, keep them in your prayers. My understanding, they're... And Eli Bowen. Okay, grandson. I didn't know that. COVID, so keep them in your prayers and pray that this works out soon. Does anybody have anything that I need to mention? We'll have announcements at the end of service. If not, if you'd like to follow along, I'd like to read Psalms 1 before we begin. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also not wither, whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us for allowing us to come and having this worship service to you. We pray, Father, that the things we do will be pleasing unto you in accordance with your will. We ask your blessings on John and Patty and JB and Wanda and Eli as they wrestle through this COVID and pray that, that, that they all improve soon. We ask your blessings on our others that are sick and are shut-ins, that you watch over them and care for them. We all have members of our families that, that uh, are sick, and I ask that you be with Donna Jean Hunt. Watch over her. Be with those that are attending to her. Bless us, Father, as we go through this service. Forgive us. In thy son's name we pray. And amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? Our first song this morning is number 523. 523. Our God, he is alive.
be seated. Our next song is on the overhead only. It's How Great Is Our God. How Great Is Our God. After this, Brother Dwight will have our reading and prayer. Let us pray this morning. Our Father in heaven, we, we praise and glorify your name this day, this appointed day that we are assembled together to worship you and attempt, Lord, in our humblest way to magnify your name. We're thankful, Lord, that those that are here for our health and for our strength that you have given us, Lord, we think of those that cannot be here this morning. There are many names mentioned this morning, and we, we lift each and every one of these names up to you this day, God, that, that you touch their bodies and, and re restore them to health, we pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we also look around us in a world that seems like there is no hope, 
but we know that you are our hope and you are the only way, Lord, that, that we have in this life, Lord, to, to achieve the goal of heaven. We, we thank you, Lord, for this promise that you have given us. We thank you for all the blessings that we have in life, Lord. Everything good in life we know comes from you, and we're thankful for those things, Lord, that you have done in our lives. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us when we fail you. Give us strength, Lord, when we're weak, we pray. And help us always look up to you and realize that you are the truth and the only way. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as we worship today, help us, Lord, to focus on Christ and the sacrifices that he made for us that we might have eternal life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our next song this morning, number 742. 742, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
As we gather around the table this morning, I'd like to talk about the suffering that Christ did for us. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, then he said to them, this it is written, and this it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So in the words of that text, we're told that Christ suffered for us. First of all, his suffering was to fulfill the words of the prophets. In Acts chapter 3, verse 18, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Christ also suffered to do the will of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, Therefore, when he came to the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering did you not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Finally, Christ suffered for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As we prepare to partake of this Lord's Supper, let's reflect back on the suffering of Christ and why he did so. Would you bow with me as we give thanks for the bread? Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to gather around this table, Father, to take ourselves back to the, to the scene at Calvary, Father, Christ's suffering. Father, be with us as we partake of this bread, which represents the body which was broken for us. And it's through Jesus' name I pray. Amen. me again please Father in heaven we, we also are thankful for this fruit of the vine that represents the blood that Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins Father we thank you for everything that he he was willingly the suffering that he willingly uh, did for us Father be with us as we partake in Jesus name I pray Amen That concludes the Lord's Supper. The elders have set aside this time as well to give up our offering. There's two boxes in the back, black boxes in the back of the auditorium. Uh, you can drop off your offering on your way out the door. Let us uh, have a prayer over that. Father in heaven, we are truly a blessed nation, Father. We, we are blessed beyond means, or beyond anything that we can we desire, Father. We pray that you would be with us as we 
give back some of these blessings, Father, to help uh, spread the word in this community and around the world. Be with us as we give. Help us to do so with a cheerful heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children's Bible Hour this morning will cover uh, four-year-olds through third grade. Uh, they can leave now as we stand and sing our next song, which is number 834. 834. Salvation has been brought down. Jesus gave his life a ransom, young of Calvary, young of Calvary.
Song of Invitation? Be number 380, just as I am. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you. You ever been talking to somebody and uh, their eyes kind of glaze over and maybe they got their head on their hand and they're kind of just, they're looking at you, but they're kind of looking past you. Have you ever had that experience? You've been talking to somebody and they have completely zoned out. Maybe they're tired or maybe they're thinking about something else, but they are not listening to what you're talking about. They are somewhere else, right? It's offensive, but it's not always a big deal. It might be a big deal if you were sitting on the airplane, you ever flown uh, on an airplane and uh, the stewardess or somebody gets up and they say, well, this is how the seatbelt works. And also if we were in a crash landing, then your, uh, the bottom of your seat's going to be a flotation device, and all of a sudden you get in a turbulence, you think, what did she say about that seat thing? How do I do that? How do I get that off again? Because you're looking over, and there's the ocean, and you're dangerously close to it, in your opinion. And so that moment when you zoned out, when you weren't listening, became pretty important all of a sudden, didn't it? Today we're talking about something that you just cannot afford to zone out on. We can't afford to zone out on evangelism. Next Sunday morning is our Friends Day, so we would love for every seat in, in the auditorium this morning to be filled with our friends. Um, so this week, be thinking and praying for people that you can be inviting to our services next week that can be joining us uh, for this period of worship. And so this morning, I kind of wanted to, to talk to you about evangelism. Grab your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. This is just something that we cannot afford to zone out on. We can't afford to overlook this, this aspect of our job. This is one of the things that we're called to do as Christians. Dwight read for you this morning, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Of course, we refer to that as the Great Commission, right? It's right before Jesus left. It's his last words to his apostles. He has a job for them to do. They are to go teach, baptize, teach again, folks who do not know him. And so it's disciples making disciples. That is what we do. That's who we are. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you make disciples. It's what we do. It's built into who we are, right? And so this morning, I, I just kind of wanted to walk you through some of these some of these elementary thoughts about evangelism. Does the Bible ever talk to us? Does it ever call us to evangelize? Well, of course it does, right? Romans chapter 15, let's start in verse 22. Romans chapter 15, verse 22. Paul's talking to the Roman congregation. He's never visited this, these, this congregation. I think there's probably more than one of these congregations in and around Rome. I think there's probably several uh, that this letter is written to, but he's never visited any of these congregation. He knows of them by reputation alone. And so his reputation, their reputation is one of the reasons he's writing to them. Um, he wants their help as well in uh, his evangelistic dreams. Paul's got this dream. He wants to go to Spain. And he's hoping to see the Romans as he goes along on his way to Spain. This is what he tells them in verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, 
I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. These guys have a responsibility. Though they've never met Paul, though they don't know him personally, they have a responsibility to help his mission efforts, right? They obviously have um, their own mission efforts that are going on inside the city of Rome. But they also have this, uh, this necessity to help Paul along his way. That's all true. But what I find so interesting is something Paul says kind of offhand. You probably missed it in verse 23. But Paul says, since I have no longer any room for work in these regions, he's going to go somewhere else. He's evangelized to the point in Asia Minor where he's done these three missionary journeys, the missionary journeys that you're familiar with, the congregations that he writes these letters to Philippians and Thessalonians and Corinth and all these letters that, that are in our New Testament. All these guys, all these congregations are in Asia Minor. And Paul, by the point he writes Romans, has so evangelized this region, he says there's nothing left for me to do here. There's no work left. I've done it all. He's talked to everyone at least he's founded congregations in the right areas so that those congregations can go talk to people about Jesus and about their faith. And so Paul says, I don't have any room left for work here. And so what's he start doing? He looks for room somewhere else where there's other possibilities for evangelism. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be looking for opportunities to evangelize. You're going to find people who are not as interested as you would like them to be, right? You're going to find people who are either comfortable with their faith for whatever reason or aren't interested in faith for whatever reason. And so you're going to run in contact with those people. I think Paul would say, move on. Find, find someone who is interested in these issues uh, in, in faith, and let's evangelize them. We need to be evangelizing so much that at some point we say, we've, we've done this area. That's what Paul says here, I've, I've, I've done this area, and so now I'm looking for another space, more room left to work, more room left to evangelize. He has convinced everyone in this area uh, that he can, and now he's looking for another spot to, to be. So is this your responsibility as well? It is. Turn to Matthew chapter 15 or chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Sometimes we think this is just the preacher's job, just the elder's job, just the youth minister's job, but it's all of our responsibilities to do this. You bear the burden just like the rest of us do. This is no one person's job. This is the church's responsibility. Remember, this is something we said, this is too important to zone out on. Now, I don't care if you zone out on a conversation with me, but this is something that we cannot avoid. This is something that we cannot zone out on. We have to pay attention. We have to focus on evangelism. Listen to what Ma uh, Matthew says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
and he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What does he refer to us as here? This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? This is a section of that incredible sermon where he looks at his followers, the ones who are buying into his teaching, who are following him so closely that the dust from his sandals are getting on them. That's, that's, a, that's the way I like to define a disciple. Are we following Jesus so closely that the dirt from his sandals is getting on us? That's what these folks are doing. He says, you really want to be my disciple? Here's what my disciples look like. Here's what they do. They are, we are, the light of the world, right? We are salt, preserving and flavoring um, a crooked and perverse generation, right? That's, that's what Paul would say about his own culture, and it certainly applies to ours as well. And so he says, you are a light. You're the ones who, we are the ones who show people the way, how to get to Christ. You are not the answer to their problems, right? You are not their Savior, but you know their Savior, and you shed light on how to get to Him. You help preserve this, this world with, with the salt um, that we are. And so this is our responsibility. It's not one person's responsibility. This responsibility falls on your shoulders as squarely as it does on mine. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter also has quite a bit to say about this topic. Starting in verse 13, he says, Now, who is, there, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. In Peter's day, people are being persecuted for following Christ. And in fact, Peter will give up his life for Christ. He will refuse to deny him again. Peter's walked down that road, right? He and Judas walked down that road on the same night, right? Both betrayed Jesus. Judas makes his decision and later Peter will make his. But Peter's decision is to never again betray Jesus and on the day that he dies he never did and he will not on that day either will not recant his belief that Jesus is everything that he is worthy of my life so in his day he's struggling with people who are persecuting the church and so to this congregation of persecuted Christians, he reminds them that it's okay to suffer for what's good. You shouldn't be afraid of them. Don't be troubled by them. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And he adds this little bit in here. Again, it's almost offhand, isn't it? It's almost like a parenthetical statement. But here it is. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So he's expecting each individual member of the congregation that he's talking to to be able to have an explanation 
for, why you do what you do, and why you are what you are. That's what Peter's demanding that each and every member has. Every one of us needs a reason, needs to be able to explain the reason for the hope that lies inside of us. So why are you here? Why are you faithful? Have you seen God be good to you? Have you seen Him transform you? Have you seen His power in your life? Have you seen the capability of His power in your friends' lives? Right? Giving a reason for the hope that lies inside of us because He's changed you. You're not who you once were. Your priorities are different now. You think different now. You want something more now. Before you came to Him, you were out for number one, right? You were looking out for yourself. You were building your own kingdom, right? But Jesus says, if you come to me, you have to pick something up. And it's not your kingdom, and it's not your agenda, it's His cross. So you die to yourself. All the things that you want, all your priorities, all the things that you value, He says, those things don't matter anymore. In fact, <clears throat> Paul would say in Philippians 3.8 that those things are garbage, he uses the word rubbish there. It's, it's the word we would translate as garbage. Those things don't matter anymore. It's what's in the, the garbage can at the back that's trash. And Paul had a whole laundry list of things that were very important to most people, right? He had a good pedigree. He had a good future. He had a good family, good teaching. He had all these things, but he says those things don't matter at all. I'll tell you what matters is Jesus and what he's doing in my life and what he's doing in the world around me. He's got some transformative power. And our friends and our family need that transformative power. Right? Because they're wandering in darkness. And you have the answer. It's not one person's job to evangelize. It is the church's job to evangelize. To be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. And Peter gives some stipulations here that we do it with, of course, gentleness um, and respect but we do it right we give an answer or we give a reason for the hope that lies within us why are you faithful why do you make the sacrifices that you make because not everybody not everybody around you makes these sacrifices right not everybody around you lives like you live they don't think like you think why do you think like that why do you live like that why do you make the sacrifices that you make? It's because Jesus has changed you, hasn't he? He's changed what you find important. You're not just out trying to build your own kingdom anymore. You're trying to build up his kingdom now. And this is what it looks like. Evangelism is too important to zone out on. We can't afford to do that. Turn back to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I should have just had you go to Matthew 9 when we were in Matthew 5, but I don't like you flipping. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9, or scrolling if you're on an electronic device. Matthew 9, look at verse 35. I think this may be my favorite passage as far as evangelism is concerned in all of Scripture. As it surprises me every time. And maybe it will surprise you as well. It kind of captures your heart, breaks your heart. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Set the scene for me real quick in your minds. Jesus is in front of this massive crowd and he looks out at the crowd and he sees individuals. He, whenever he looked at a crowd, he never saw a massive crowd. He always looked at the individuals. And here he does that again. He looks at the individuals and he sees pain. He sees heartbreak. He sees sin. And he sees nobody to help them. Satan is having his way with them because there's nobody to defend them. And so they are, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's his illustration, not mine. That's what he looks out at this crowd and sees the people as they're being beaten by Satan and there's no one to help them like a sheep would fall to prey, would fall prey to a predator without a shepherd there to protect them. And so he looks at his disciples and he says, you guys need to pray. You would think, remember I said this passage surprises me, maybe it will you as well, you would think that when he looks at his disciples and tells them to pray, it would be that God would alleviate their suffering, that he would find a defender. That's not what he prays for, is it? You would think that he would tell them to pray that these people will come to him, that they'll come in droves at this entire crowd, and all future crowds will come to him. But that's not, that's not what he prays, is it? What's he pray? He looks at his disciples and says, you guys need to pray because there's a whole world out there that needs help, but there's what? So few people to go out and help them. And so you need to entreat God, entreat the Lord of the harvest, to send out more workers into his harvest. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. He's praying for the church. 2,000 years ago, before it was even founded, he's praying for us. Because he knows that the wounded and the broken that are in our world in the first century and in the 21st century, he knows that they will come to him. He's afraid that they won't ever hear. He's afraid that you won't ever tell them. He's afraid I won't ever tell them. Sit with Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and let that wrestle with your heart. Because this passage will surprise you, won't it? It will convict you. There's power here. Jesus looks out at the 12 disciples and he says, You guys need to be praying for the church because the harassed and those who are broken, the ones who are being beaten, being taken advantage of by Satan, they will come. They will come in droves, right? And you see that happen in the first century, don't you? You see them coming to Christ. You see them coming to God just in, in masses by the thousands they're coming. But you need to pray, not, not for them, not for the ones who are being beaten. You don't pray for them. You pray for the ones who are going out to tell them. Because sometimes we zone out on evangelism, don't we? Evangelism is one of those things that is a lifestyle change. This is a mindset. It's not a trip. We've been on a couple mission trips, right? It's not a trip. Evangelism is not a trip. 
It's, it's a way of life. It turns into who you are. It gets in your blood, and, and the trips help with that, right? They help, the trips help, help you see that, and that's, really, that's one of the benefits of them. They help you see the need for evangelism. They help you find the love for evangelism, see the power that God has to work and change through people's lives. They, they do those things very well. But you need to go and do evangelism. Because there's a whole world out there that's lost. And the one who created that world and the one who made all those people who have rebelled against him longs to have them back. And he's made you the answer, the carrier of the good news. And here in Matthew 9, he says, I'm afraid they won't go tell. So is it your job to go evangelize? You better believe it. Will you be held accountable for not? You better believe it. This is who we are. It's built into our DNA. We cannot zone out on evangelism. It is our responsibility. It's our calling. It's, it's who we are. Is it urgent? That's our next question. First one is, is it for me and for you? Is it for everybody? Yes, absolutely. 100%. It is for us all. Is it urgent? Flip over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. You find Jesus telling a story here in verse 13 that is powerful. Just the heading alone should grab your attention. My, my uh, version of Scripture says the parable of the rich fool. Jesus doesn't call people fools very often or very lightly. And so this story ought to catch your attention. Read it with me. Starting in verse 13, Matthew or Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. But he said to, them, but he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to him, Take care. This guy's got a problem, right? So Jesus looks at him and sees through the man's question into his heart and why he's asking the question. So he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. It's not what's in your bank account. It's not what's in your house. It's not what's sitting in your driveway. Life is more than that. And so what is life all about, Jesus? Well, happily, he's going to tell us in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. This guy's got a lot of stuff in his bank account, got a lot of stuff in his driveway and in his house. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. He's got a great plan, right? Nothing wrong with this plan except he's left something out. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is this urgent? Is this cry for evangelism urgent? You can't understand how urgent it is. Jesus tells this story about this man who had been focusing on all the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with, with building up a retirement plan and all those things. There's nothing wrong with that. Where had this guy fallen short? He missed 
priority number one, hadn't he? He put himself first. He had been building his kingdom at the neglect of building God's. God's kingdom has to come first every time. And then you can build up your 401, your retirement, all that kind of stuff. God's kingdom has to come first. Not just in what you give to first in that way as well, but also in your mind and your priorities and the way you think and the way you, you look at this, this idea. This guy's soul was required of him that night and he had no idea what he had given up. He had no idea what he had just lost until God told him and it was too late. It might be too late for your next door neighbor tomorrow. They might not make it here Sunday. It might be too late for your family member. The next time you talk to them, it might be the last. We've all had that situation happen, haven't we? Don't wait. This call for evangelism is urgent. We need to be about this work. Flip over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. You're familiar with this passage. I'm sure it's in verse 33. It's toward the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here. And this is what he says. After walking people through all the anxiety and the worry that we deal with in this place, in this world. Uh, he says, you know, you've got... You've got a lot of clothes, but moths eat clothes, you know. You've got a nice car, but eventually it's going to rust out. These things are destroyed here. Uh, he says you're, you're worried about all these wrong things. What should you be worried about? Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek first. Underline first. That word's in the Greek. Underline, underline first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you first. Before you do anything else of utmost importance, before you take care of anything else, you seek God's kingdom. There's some people in your life that are not seeking His kingdom first, and they're, they will pay for it for eternity. Is evangelism urgent? Yes. To those who are lost, yes, it is. We need to seek His kingdom first. They need to seek His kingdom first. Flip over to, the, to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's see how it all ends. We've seen the beginning, I guess, with seeking God's kingdom first. Let's see how it ends. 2 Peter chapter 3. We don't have time to read. Through this entire section, I'd really like to read 1 through 14. So I'm going to let you do that as, as we uh, progress with the day. But uh, this afternoon, go back through and read that. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, 1 through 14. But I want you to focus in on, on verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's His heart. He wants every single one of us to reach repentance. And he's putting off the end of time so that one more can come. That's the father you serve, right? You see his heart? People are spitting in his face, insulting him, offense after offense. 
and he's putting off judgment day one more hour, one more day, so one more can come to him. But in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Judgment Day is coming. He's putting it off. He's put it off for 2,000 years. But it is still coming. Verse 11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Assume he doesn't come back in your lifetime. Assume he doesn't come back in your neighbor's lifetime or your family member's lifetime. There is still coming a day of judgment in which those books will be opened and everyone's deeds and all the things that that we've said and all the things that we've done will be opened up. And we'll have to give an account for those things. You need to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest don't you? You need him to see Jesus when he looks at you. So does your family member. So does your neighbor. This is urgent. It's your job. It's my job. And it is incredibly urgent. Flip over to Romans chapter 1. Let's ask the last question. Romans chapter 1. What motivates me to evangelize? What motivates you to evangelize? What's the driving force behind this urgent job that is for everyone? What motivates us to do that? That's the last question we have to answer today. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. There's, there's that word again. You remember from the book of Proverbs, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Paul's bringing that thought back to our minds, isn't he? Verse 23, And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Go back through this passage this afternoon or, or now as we close and underline gave up. Every time you see that thought, that sentiment, in Romans chapter 1, these, these, this passage here, underline gave up or that thought. Because he's going to come back to that time and time again in this passage. There comes a point in which I have sinned to the extent in which I've built a callus up on my heart. And it becomes hard for God to get through to me. 
It's not impossible, right? It happens. Oftentimes we see it happen with um, catastrophes. Uh, these great, uh, great big uh, awful things that happen either personal or community. We saw it happen this weekend in, uh, in Waverly as we were getting to walk around and talk to people. So many people, people's hearts were opened up. Well, why were they opened up? Because they had lost literally everything that they owned and almost lost their life. Sometimes it takes a disaster like that, either personally, you get a bad diagnosis or someone in your family dies or something catastrophic happens. So either it's personal or, or it's community-oriented, something catastrophic has happened in the community, but it takes sometimes something very big like that to pull that callus off of our hearts. You remember, of course, Pharaoh, uh, it said something like six times in, in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It said three more times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. These two things go together, don't they? You ever been working on working with your hands, maybe like with a shovel or a pickaxe or something, or post hole diggers? Post hole diggers get it for me. I get calluses right there on my on the pads of my hands. Right? What happens if you were to do that every day for forty years? You don't get blisters anymore, right? I hold a pencil and I type a lot. <laughs> so these little things right there on the pads of my fingers are hard as rock, right? Some of you guys are like that. I don't work an awful lot with post hole diggers. But if I did, for a long enough time, I would build up calluses so that the pain couldn't get to me. In Romans 1 and throughout the rest of Scripture, God says you do the exact same thing with your heart. Every time you sin, it builds up a callus on you. Until finally it's hard to get through and it takes something big and sometimes the big thing doesn't always happen for everybody does it and so when we see people who need Christ your neighbor or your family member we see them digging a hole and they're just getting deeper and deeper until finally you can't even see them anymore and you gotta, you gotta look down inside the hole to see them because they just keep digging every sin they dig themselves a little bit farther away from God it's a little harder to reach them that ought to break our hearts that ought to motivate us to evangelize right we long for people to be close to him he longs for his people to be close to him he wants reconciliation he wants to be Literally, the word friend, uh, reconciliation means to, be, to make friends again. He wants to be friends again with people. He wants the intimacy that he shared with us in the garden. He wants that again, but he can't have it because we're sinful. And so he found a way to deal with our sin. He found a way to extricate us from that hole. And he's offering it to you and he's offering it to everyone around you. You just have to obey, right? The way he's offering that extrication away from sin, the way that he washes you clean of that sin is through baptism. You put on Christ in baptism, he washes those sins away, and he makes you a brand new person who is driven by his agenda. You've put your own kingdom away. You've sacrificed that. That's dead now. And you pick up his agenda via his cross and follow him the rest of your life. That's what he asks. 
Maybe you've already made the decision this morning to be baptized and you are struggling. That makes sense. It's a season of struggle, isn't it? Maybe life's gotten you down or, or sickness or something else has woken you up to this need for God in your life. He is the answer. He is, in fact, the only answer. If you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing? Well, good morning, Kirk family. It's great to be here uh, this morning. Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out one of our visitor cards and um, hand it to one of our members, we'd glad, uh, um, glad to have that on our record. But um, this has been a busy July, busy, busy July. Uh, we had Fort Hill 
uh, beginning of the month. Uh, we just got back from our mission trip last week, um, and what a blessing that was. We had 14 people go on a mission trip to Waverly, Tennessee. Uh, there was a flood there last year uh, that killed over 20 people. Um, there's still a bunch of houses and apartments where a lot of people are homeless, but uh, they do a lot of good work there, um, there Waverly, Tennessee Church of Christ. Uh, a lot of our kids, they drywalled for the first time. Um, some kids uh, learned a new way to drywall by just putting the mud in your hand and slapping it onto the wall and then spreading it. Um, that's, it was dirty. Um, also, uh, some kids did plumbing and, and shoveled a bunch of stuff. Uh, also, put shelves together, worked in a warehouse, built furniture. Um, Chris took a bunch of uh, kids with him to go door knocking. He uh, went to 81 people's houses, and two of them uh, wanted a Bible study, so that was successful. Um, that night, um, the first night there, Thomas did a devotional um, about this how awkward we can be sometimes uh, in, in uncomfortable situations when it comes to preaching God's word. Uh, but he did a great job. Uh, we And uh, Aiden Knapp was baptized there as well, so that was great. Um, I mean, the activities we've had this month, we've had three of our children baptized. Um, we've had um, Jenna Picklesheimer, she was baptized at Fort Hill, um, we've also had Titus, Fred, uh, Titus Jones um, after Fort Hill get baptized, and then we had Aiden Knapp get baptized at the, uh, at the mission trip in Waverly. It's so important to get your kids involved in activities here at Rome. Uh, I mean, if, if you want them to grow spiritually, get them involved. Get them involved with, with the youth group, um, get them involved with camp, get them involved with the, the mission trips, whatever it is, get them involved because um, it goes a long way uh, with them spiritually. And, you know, your Christian friends are the friends you have for life. And then uh, yesterday we went to Kings Island. Fifteen of us went to Kings Island. Uh, we all had a great time. My legs hurt. I, I probably walked, uh, I don't know how many miles. And we didn't get home until after 1 o'clock. Um, so I'm taking a nap today, and I'm sure everybody else is too. But uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Um, updates on our announcements. The Father and Son Camp Out is July 29th at the Leaps Cabin. So far we have 16 signed up. If you're planning on going to that, today is the last day for you to sign up. So sign up so that way the Leaps know how many people are coming and how many uh, know prepare for also, um, when July 31st, uh, next Sunday will be our potluck, and it's also Friends Day. The reason why we pick Friends Day uh, on that day, Saturday is National Friends Day. Um, John 15, 13 says, no greater love is this, the one who will lay down his life for his friend. You know, so invite your friend to church. Love them. No greater love than that. So, um, so invite your friends to service and have them stay for our potluck afterwards. Also, August 3rd, um, Wednesday, will be Stepping Stone Supper. Uh, spaghetti will be on the menu that day, and there's also an elders meeting. So if you need to talk to the elders about anything to discuss, please see one of them. Also, uh, August 6th will be our Fort Hill Gathering. 
Uh, this is where a bunch of the teenagers get back together uh, before summer, I mean, before school starts. And uh, we'll have about 30 kids here. Um, so it, it's great singing, and uh, it's great to see all those kids come. So keep them in your prayers as they travel. Also, if you're interested in going to Peru, the mission trip on June 13th through the 22nd on uh, 2023, please see Chris on um, if you have any um, inquiries on that. Also, um, updates on our prayers. Keep uh, Hank Picklesheimer and Lisa, his girlfriend, in your prayers. Um, I haven't seen Hank in a while, but uh, I know he's struggling, and I know Lisa has cancer, so she's struggling too. So keep Lisa and Hank in your prayers. Keep Jim Haney and Kathy in your prayers. Also, remember, continue to keep Sandy Galloway and Joe in your prayers. Um, keep uh, JB and Wanda Lawson in your prayers and John and Pat Kelly in your prayers as they deal with COVID during this time. Keep Jennifer Baker and Casey in your prayers, and also keep uh, Chad's judges, mom and dad in your prayers as well. And it's great. Uh, I know we've been praying for Vicki Bowen, but she's here this morning, so it's great to see her uh, here this morning. And um, also remember to continue to keep all the ones who are traveling. We have tons of our members traveling right now and um, people just visiting one another for the summertime before they start school. But uh, that's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. If you would, let's stand and we'll sing our final song, which is only overhead only, Sanctuary. Sanctuary.
Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day and this opportunity to hear your word. Father, we thank you for men like Chris that bring it to us on a daily basis. And Father, we ask that what we've heard here today, that we apply it to our lives, that we may better serve thee. Father, there's been several that have been mentioned that are sick, that are fighting disease, that are shut in. And Father, we ask that you bless them and them that take care of them. Father, as we prepare to depart, Father, give us the strength and the courage to spread your word, to evangelize, to bring others to you, Father. Let us be your light as we go out into the world. God, guard and direct us, Father, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.